0: Coming up next on Abounding Grace. Abiding begins with a confession of faith in your life. That's your first step of abiding. And it continues through steady obedience. It's not just a steady obedience in what God is telling you to do, what he instructs you. Like, remember what Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's not just that. It's also the steady obedience of resisting the temptation to no longer abide.
1: This is amazing grace. Hey, it's great to be with you, and welcome again to Abounding Grace. Soon, we'll be gathering together with family and friends at the Thanksgiving dinner table. And as you do, consider this. Will people be able to tell you've been with Jesus? That should be the goal of every believer, that people would be able to see fruit from our lives that speaks of time well spent with Jesus. Today, Pastor Ed Taylor returns to a study of 1 Peter, where we'll observe that Peter the Apostle became stronger after spending
0: time with Jesus. Would you take your Bibles open then to John's Gospel chapter 15. John chapter 15. We're actually in 1st Peter chapter 1 and we're looking at the first verse together, Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ. We're looking at Peter individually before we get into any of the information about the letter itself because we want to learn about Peter. One of the criticisms of Peter being the author of this letter is that he was untrained and uneducated. And that's often a an accusation that's brought about people, you what's your seminary degree? Where'd you go to school? Who gives you it's really a question of authority. And listen, whether you've been to school or not, whether you have a degree or not, whether you've been to Bible college or not, whether you have your bachelor's, your associate, your master's, your PhD, whether you have five PhDs, when it comes to the things of God, your authority is the Spirit of God dwelling in you. That's your authority. We all have the same authority. Jesus, through His Spirit, is the teacher. And it's great to be educated. We went through this last time. It's great to gain as much as you can, as fast as you can, as cheap as you can. Do it. Do it. Do it. However, if you're unable, know that you can be equally equipped because you have the Holy Spirit in you, and God is with you. He'll lead you into all truth. So there they were, untrained, unlearned men. It was pretty obvious, and it wasn't, a, it wasn't just an observation. It was a dig. Look at you, untrained and unlearned. And yet the conclusion, though, was that Peter had spent time with Jesus, And we might skip over that really quickly and think, "Well, wait a minute, spending time with Jesus, what does that really mean? Let me just say this. Spending time with Jesus will change your life. Spending time with Jesus will change your life. There's a lot of ways you can do that. Bible study, worship music, devotional life reading your Bible, talking about the Bible, reading books about the Bible from trusted sources. There's a lot of ways to do that, but the one way that Jesus teaches us that encapsulates all of the activity is actually found for us in John 15. Notice with me if you're there in John 15. I want to talk a little bit before we finish up looking at Peter in our time today about what it means to spend time with Jesus. Notice in verse 4, Jesus in John 15 earlier talks about vines and vine dressers and branches, and he's bringing his disciples back to what's important. As they're headed to the cross, there's the reminder to remain simple, to keep things simple. I have found over the years, the longer that you walk with the Lord, the longer you have a relationship with the Lord, the more complicated things can become. Because you learn a little bit from this class, and you learn a little bit from this Bible study. And then, of course, in our day and age, you can learn so much. You you can literally be an expert about everything and know very little about anything. Because you get a little piece here and a little piece there, and you got this information, and now now you're the expert. And that, that, in pride, can carry over into our relationship with God. And before you know it, it's very complicated, when it was never intended to be as complicated as we have made it. Let me read this to you in the New Living Translation. You can just jot it down. In Jeremiah chapter 31, it says, Listen to this message from the Lord. This is Jeremiah 31:10. Listen to the message of the Lord, you nations of the world. Proclaim it in the distant coastlands. The Lord, who scattered his people, will gather them together and watch over them as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Israel from those too strong for them. They will come home and sing songs of joy, on the heights of Jerusalem, listen, they will be radiant because of the many gifts the Lord has given them. The good crops of wine and wheat and oil and healthy flocks and herds. Their life, and this is, this is the scripture, that's why I like the New Living. Listen, it says, Their life will be like a watered garden and all their sorrows will be gone. A well-watered garden is a description in Jeremiah. It's also a description of Jesus in John 15. A well-watered garden. Now, of course, with the recent freeze that came in, everybody's freaking out to cover up their garden right now and try to save what they spent all season trying to grow and keep them just from a quick flash freeze, from losing all the progress and all. But think about those of you that were out covering and taping and moving, putting things in the grass. Think about this for a second. How much you care for the plants that you're taking care of. I even noticed when I drove in, someone took the care to take care of those pots and put bungee cords around them so that we can protect them. Why? Because we care. We wanted the garden and the flowers to be well-gardened and well-watered and well-taken care of. Now, if you care about your garden as a human like that, how much more do you think God loves you more than the flowers of the field? How much He wants you well-taken care of? You have care and concern. We have care and concern to take care of the beautiful flowers and the trees. But how much more our Heavenly Father wants to take care of you, wants to cover you up, wants to protect you from the flash freezes of life and difficulties. Listen, when you're well cared for, fruit occurs naturally. There's no need for a tree to work it up or produce it. It's well-watered, well-cared for, and a well-watered garden, a well-watered tree naturally produces what it was intended and created for. Like the believer, the place of fruit, the place of life, the place of joy comes from staying put. That's what the word means in verse 4, if you want to circle it, abide. When, When it speaks of Jesus spending time, or Peter spending time with Jesus, it's not merely his proximity although that is an important piece. That's one of the reasons I believe God intended us to gather together. It's not merely proximity, though. It's posture. You know, you can be in a place where there are others worshiping God and not worship God yourself because it's the posture of your heart. It's not merely the position and the placement of your body. It's also the posture of your heart where you come expectant and ready where the place where, as Moses said, when there was great turmoil and great fear, and they were boxed in, what did he say? Stand still. This is not a time to move. It's not a time to freak out. It's not a time to run away. Stand still. And he also said, remember, be quiet. And he said, see the salvation of your God's going to fight for you. He's going to take care of you. Why? Because you're abiding in him. He's abiding in you. Jesus has invaded our lives. When we were born again, we have new purpose in life, a new position in life, a new posture of life. He accepts us as we are, but he doesn't let us stay that way. Look when Peter's spending time with Jesus, he was learning the abiding principle. He's learning how to stay put. He's learning how not to run away. The word literally means to remain, to stand still to stay put. Let me read it to you, John chapter 15, verse 5, from the New Living Translation. He says, Yes, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. John 15, verse 4, in the Message Translation. It's a paraphrase, but listen how he paraphrases it. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you, in the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you're joined to me. Live in me. You're joined to me. Stay put. Remain. Abiding begins with a confession of faith in your life. That's your first step of abiding, and it continues through steady obedience. It's not just a steady obedience in what God isn't telling you to do, what He instructs you. Like remember what Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's not just that. It's also the steady obedience of resisting the temptation to no longer abide. Where there's always a temptation, some shortcut along the way, some cause perhaps, some temptation to be all mad and puffed up with pride and you're just upset. It's a steady of obedience of saying, no, nothing's going to move me. Paul faced that. I, I mean, he, he started listing off all the things that he experienced in life. And what does he say? None of these things move me. I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. That's a very difficult statement to make. As a matter of fact, if I look back on the entirety of my life. I can't make that statement. There have been many things that have moved me over the years. There have been many, many things that have shaken my life. There are many things that have tempted me. There are many things that have overwhelmed me. There are many things that have upset me. Like, Like, not move you, Paul. How is that possible? However, I can say this. There have been little capsules in my life of trials and difficulties, little segments of my life where I can look at that segment and go, you know what? I saw this, 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 and this. And I can say confidently, none of these things move me. None of these things have shaken me. And so I have some things that have shaken me. But then when I look at little segments of my life, I go, no, no, I I remember that. Like I remember, no, these things don't move me. Why? Because it's the abiding presence of God in my life. The things that God is doing. And and the temptations to move. And remember in John chapter 6, everybody's leaving Jesus after hard words. Then he looks and he goes, you guys are going to leave me too? You see everybody walking away? You see everybody abandoning me? You see everybody turning on me? You see everybody just making this choice because of a few difficult words to receive? Are you going to leave me too? Peter says, man, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Even if I wanted to leave you, I'd be back. (laughs) Even if I made the bad decision to walk away, I'm coming back because you alone have the words of eternal life. When it says that Peter spent time with Jesus, that it was obvious. How is it obvious? How is it possible that today someone could say in your life, uh, they have spent time with Jesus? And I'll tell you how. By the fruit from your life. You're a different person. You're not manufacturing it. You're not going, okay, I'm going to be with some friends. I need to make sure they know I'm a believer. No, you just... Many times, the counsel I give to someone, you know, hey, Ed, I'm going to be going to this wedding. I'm going, what should I do? Uh, Just be yourself in the Lord. That's it. Just be yourself. Don't worry about all that stuff. It is possible for you to be among sinners that are sinning like crazy and not be touched by sin. Did you know that? (laughs) It's possible. It's possible to be in an event. It's possible to be in the world. Jesus said, you're going to be in this world. I leave you in this world. But Father, keep them from the evil one. Do you know that prayer is answered in your life every day of the week? God protects you. Answers the prayer of Jesus. For Peter to spend time, maybe that's the only testimony you have. The only testimony you have is, I I just, well, what's your credentials? Credentials? I didn't even know you needed credentials. The Bible just said I should be born again. I confess my sins, and that's why I'm a born again. What credentials? All I do, I read the Bible. You've been with Jesus. What's your credentials? Well, I try to be in church for service. I I even sometimes take notes on what that guy's saying. You've been with Jesus. I talk to God. Oh, so you pray? Oh, is that what you call it? Yeah, I pray. I've been with Jesus. And you don't need to be intimidated by people that would want to come along and somehow make you feel less, because a guy that spent time with Jesus, went from a fisherman to a fisher of men. Not only that, this guy failed miserably in his life, and yet though a man falls seven times, he rose again. And he's not remembered. When he writes his letter, he doesn't say, remember my big failure? Remember? He doesn't, he just writes, look, come back to First Peter now, chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, this is what he writes. When it's time to write the letter, when it's time to sit down, when he is writing to encourage these scattered, weary saints, what does he say? I'm Peter, an apostle of Christ. I'm Peter. That's who I am. I'm the one that spent time with Jesus. That gives me the authority. He's the one that made me an apostle. After spending time with Jesus, he became stronger. He changed from the inside out, so much so that he becomes a great leader in the church, a great leader. Unfortunately, some have taken it over the years to make him a greater leader than even God ever intended, creating a whole new category of leadership that's nowhere to be found in the Bible. Some of you came from a religious tradition that claimed that Peter was the first pope How many of you came from a tradition that Peter was the first pope, that you were raised that way? So quite a few of you. Well, the position of pope doesn't exist in the Bible. And Peter was not the first pope. Let me show you what I mean. Come over to Matthew chapter 16, because I want you to have a biblical answer to this. This isn't some non-denominational church pastor's opinion. This is what the Bible says. And we want to get our theology and our instruction about God and the ways of God from the Bible. So many times when somebody brings up that somehow claimed that Peter was the first pope, they're going to take you to this passage, Matthew chapter 16 in verse 13. And this is one of my favorite places, because we take you in on the Israel tour. We'll take you into the Caesarea Philippi. We got a little area there with the cave in the background, which you'll go up and tour after we do our Bible study. And this is the section that will take you there. And we'll read in verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. And I almost always pause right there. And just to give some effect, I just ask everybody, where are you right now? And they'll answer, we're in the region of Caesarea Philippi. And you'll understand, like if you have the privilege of ever going, you'll understand what's such an idolatrous place, such an idolatrous place just where we are as you walk up the stairs to where it is. So he takes them into the very idolatrous area filled with false worship. And he asks them a very important question on the backdrop of false worship. He says, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, okay, so now at the backdrop of everything, who do people say that? But now I'm asking you, who do you say I am? Because that's the most important question for anyone listening to me right now. The most important question in your life is this, who do you say that Jesus Christ is? That will dictate your eternal future. That will dictate your eternal future. If you think of him as just some kind of like Elijah, well, he was a great prophet. Then you're going to miss the significance of who he really is. If you say like, oh, others like Jeremiah or the other prophets, then you're going to miss. He wasn't just a messenger. He wasn't just a miracle worker. If you say, well, you know, maybe he was like John the Baptist, you know, real bold and, and pronounced. He's, he's not just a miracle worker. He's not just a messenger. He's not just a prophet. He is, notice what, what Peter, Peter answers. He speaks up in verse 16. You are Christ. Now if you Bible students, if you didn't know this already, circle this in your Bible. You need to write this down. Whenever you see the word Christ or Christos in the Greek, it refers to Jesus being Messiah. Messiah. He is the Messiah. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. So Peter speaks of not only are you the Savior, but you are the one promised. You are God who came to save us. That's his answer there. And any other answer than acknowledging your sin before Jesus as the Savior, God in human flesh, your eternal destiny is set in that very moment. For that moment, moment by moment, until you repent of your sins, you have an eternal destiny separate from God. There are not three ways to to God. There's not five ways to God. Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way. He's not a way. He's not some way. He is the way. So here, Peter has this revelation. Bold. And Jesus answers, Man, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And here's the verse, the key. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, and... I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. On this rock I will build my church, Jesus says to Peter in response. And this has become one of the most confused passages in all the Bible because it has been co-opted by man-made religion. And it's made to say something it doesn't say. It's made to say by Roman Catholicism that Peter is the one that Jesus will depend upon to build his church. That the Son of God, God in human flesh, has conveyed all of his hope in Peter and he'll be the one. And that's not what it says at all. The first thing I want you to notice that you cannot see in the English, but you can see in the original language, the New Testament written in the common Greek, that there is a play on words that Jesus has here in verse 18. In verse 18, uh, the first mention in verse 18 is the word Peter. Now the word Peter in the Greek is Petros, and it literally means a small stone, like a stone that you would throw. Could even mean a pebble, just means a little rock. He says, look, you, Peter, you, you little rock, this, you, Peter, listen, I say to you that you're a little rock. And on this rock, which is a different word, that's the word petra. And that speaks of a cliff or an uncut stone, a massive singular stone. Hey, look, little rock. Look, pebble. Good that Father revealed something to you, but I'm telling you, it's on this solid rock that I'm going to build the church. And don't forget who Jesus said would build the church. Did he say man would build the church? Yes or no, church? Say it out loud online. Yes or no? Will man build the church? This church can't be built by man. We can never take away, or at least attempt to, it's not possible, but at least attempt to take with man's methods and methodologies to build something. Because man can build something, it just won't be the church. (laughs) Man can build things on methodologies and church growth programs and all kinds of things. Man can move people, manipulate people. It's not the church. Because the real church of Jesus Christ is built by Jesus. And it wasn't built upon Petros, upon a little stone, upon a man. No, Jesus built the church upon the rock. And so we have to ask in context, what rock is the church built upon? And I suggest to you in context that the rock that the church is built upon, which is every single one of your lives, is the confession that Jesus Christ is the Savior, the Son of God. That's how you were changed. You became the church when you were born again. And you were born again when you you confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believed in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. That's the foundation of your life. The foundation of your salvation cannot be this church. It cannot be an altar call. It cannot be the raising of a hand. It cannot be pulling your car over on the side of the road. The foundation of God building your life is your confession. That's where it all begins. He wants you to confess him as the son of God.
1: We'll pause the message right here and save the rest for tomorrow. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor delivered a message called Abiding is the Place of Strength. If you'd like to hear this message again, visit our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can subscribe to the Abounding Grace podcast there too, AboundingGraceRadio.com. And we also offer an app, which is another great way to listen to Pastor Ed. Just search for Ed Taylor. Each month, we pick out a book that we think can really help your walk with the Lord and encourage you in the Lord. Here in November, it's Suffering is Never for Nothing by Elizabeth Elliott. We all go through hard times, and the past year and a half have been rough for many of us living through a pandemic. And maybe you're wondering, why doesn't God do something about my suffering? Well, He has, He did, He is, and He will. Elizabeth explains, suffering is never for nothing. God is up to something in and through it all. Learn all about that as you read, suffering is never for nothing. To get a copy for a donation of $25 or more, just call us at 877-30-GRACE. That number again is 877-30-GRACE. You can also order resources like this at calvaryco.store. calvaryco.store. And we also want to remind you that we are listener-supported. Abounding Grace airs all across the nation on stations like this one. But in order to do this, we look to our listeners to help cover the costs. You can make a secure donation on our website at aboundinggraceradio.com. Just click on Donate. Or if you'd rather call, here's the number, 877-30-GRACE. We hope you have a great Thanksgiving celebration, and if you can, join us tomorrow. We'll be in 1 Peter, again learning how abiding in Christ is the place of strength. This is amazing grace.